Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this episode of Indie Matters, I talk with reporter Riley Snyder about the goings on at the legislature. We hear about the push to open the building, budget negotiations, and what federal coronavirus aid might mean for Nevada. After that, I chat with our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, about what's going on in the nation's capital. He updates me on the Nevada delegation and everything passed in Congress this week, including the $1.9 trillion COVID relief that will be distributed throughout the U.S. And at the end of the show, I sit down with Megan Messerly to break down how Nevada's vaccine rollout is going. With Nevada's 81st legislative session well underway, we wanted to take a second to step back and examine what's happening in Carson City, what it means, and what could happen next. Here to walk us through the ins and outs of the legislative session is legislative reporter and newsletter author extraordinaire Riley Snyder. Riley, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Jacob. Well, thanks for being here, Riley. So this is our first look back at this session since things really started getting going last month. And so I wanted to kick things off uh, with a view from 30,000 feet. What would you say have been the major storylines and through lines that we've seen through these first five or six weeks or so? Yeah, well, I'd say like probably the biggest um, storyline or narrative that people have focused on in the building is kind of when is it going to open up? Um, If you read the newsletter, you know, I've probably written about this too much, but that's been the question because this session has been so different. It's all virtual. People are in their rooms. Uh, We had our photographer, David Calvert, up um, yesterday taking photos and he asked me like, what's going on? Why is nothing happening? And I told him like, this happens every day. Like they're just in their rooms. They come out to the floor session for a brief period of time, but it's just a very different atmosphere and vibe. So the plan is still um, a tentative like mid April date for a limited reopening. Um, people in the building have all been vaccinated or given the opportunity to be vaccinated at this point. But I think that is still kind of the, the overwhelming um, driver of what the, a lot of the conversations that have gone on in the session so far. Um, again, I'm going to keep plugging the newsletter. I wrote about this last week, but um, the pace has also been a little bit slower. There's been fewer bills introduced. Part of that is because of the the virtual uh, nature of the session so far. It just takes longer to hold votes and to hold hearings and to get all of that um, figured out through Zoom or through virtual means as opposed to in person. So I think that's the big overarching um, kind of narrative that we'll be focusing on and that people in the building will be focusing on for at least another couple of weeks or months. Okay. So the budget is always a huge deal come legislative session time, but this year probably more so because of the effects of the coronavirus. Now, just this week, we got news that the state budget is going to see billions of dollars in boosts from uh, federal coronavirus aid as part of the American Rescue Plan. Um, But do we know what that money actually means for the budget yet? Do we have any idea of how that's going to play out? Yeah, it's a little hard to tell. So I asked both of the budget chairs um, earlier this week, you know, like, hey, we're getting $4 billion, maybe from the feds, like, you know, what are we going to do with it? But there's a lot of um, strings attached to some of those dollars. So I think no one really wants to comment on where they might go or what they might be used for until the state gets guidance from the Treasury Department as to what those dollars can be used for. So it is a lot of money. It's pretty sizable. Uh, We did a story a couple of weeks ago that it's going to be I think around $4 billion for the state. A lot of that's going to come to the state government. Um, I can say that it's going to go through the budget committees. It's not going to happen through IFC or an interim committee. Um, but, you know, the Treasury guidance thing can take time. Um, I think 
for the CARES Act, it took up to 60 days to get that out to the states. And we're at 120-day session. So like the times keep compressing and compressing. Um, for the budget process, like budgets have to start closing at a certain point. Um, May 1st is kind of the big deadline with the economic forum coming up. So I think there is like kind of a point of no return where like the budget process is baked in and then the state has to go forward and approve that. So I think people are cautiously optimistic because it is a lot of money and it is, you know, coming to the state. It's now just a question of timing and whether or not they'll be able to sort of reopen these budgets that they've been hearing again throughout the entire first month of the session and where they're able to, to put those dollars in. If it's for new spending, new programs, is it replacing cut spending, things like that. Mm. And that'll be a big deal down the line, because right now, as I understand, state agencies are essentially operating on planning for 12% cuts through the next two years. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so that was sort of the initial budget planning. Obviously, the legislature always makes changes to the governor's proposed budget. Um, it came out that like the the two-year budget that we're planning for that the governor presented back in January was only about a 2% decrease from the previous two-year budget. But different agencies have taken different haircuts of varying sizes. Some are you know, being kept whole, some are adding um, positions. I think overall positions are down, spending's down, but the, you know, the obviously the, the size of the cuts are what legislators are looking at and kind of what can be, you know, restored initially and what might additional spending, spending sources be afforded towards. Mm. So when we talk about the budget, a lot of that bleeds out into actual policy issues. So I wanted to hone in on a couple of those. And first is education. Education has always been a huge issue in Nevada, funding it specifically. It saw pretty big cuts in 2020 as part of that emergency special session last summer. And obviously, a lot of the conversation now is about how do those cuts get rectified, especially in light of new federal aid. Uh, Do we have any idea how legislators are going to handle the issue of education in the next uh, few weeks? Yeah, so the most visible one was um, Democratic lawmakers held a press conference last week to announce uh, legislation that I believe was introduced that um, sets up spending for any future federal aid to go towards um, helping students um, recover from sort of the lost year of COVID. So that's sort of an area they've identified. I wouldn't be surprised, again, if that comes up in education or other issues of them, um, you know, perhaps like ahead of time before the money actually comes in of like figuring out where they want to divert these different streams of money. Um, The other interesting thing with education that's still being kind of worked on is the change in the funding formula. It's a process that started in 2019 and something that the state is still moving forward on. So I know there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, consternation from Republicans who were a little bit upset that we're cutting class size reduction and making all these sort of like big wholesale changes and how all the different education pots of money are arranged. Um, that's still a process that needs to get sorted and figured out. Again, that um, that plan has sold harmless provisions, so no school districts are going to see you know big cuts this budget biennium. Um, I don't really know, but like that's the front of the legislative process, right? How that might play out with the the federal aid if it comes in, if that at all is affected by that. But that's kind of the big like underlying current of education issues is that change in the funding formula. Okay. And before you go, I wanted to ask if you could walk us through some of the bills that you've been tracking. You've been doing, obviously, a lot of legislative coverage. And and there's a couple things that uh, you wrote this week that I want to touch on. So please praise yourself, Riley. What's been on the site from you this week? Yeah. So uh, Riley wrote a great story this week um, about a bill that was up on Wednesday that implements a state Supreme Court decision from 2019, finding that misdemeanor domestic violence crimes um, that result in a person losing uh, the right to own a firearm um, are eligible for for jury trials. So 
that's a mouthful. That's like a lot to, to kind of take in, but it was a big change because municipal courts, which typically handle domestic violence crimes, um, aren't equipped for jury trials. It's usually just a judge making those decisions. It's also big because there's around 30,000 uh, domestic violence charges filed in the state every year. So like it's a big wholesale shift in how um, criminal justice works in the state. Um, a lot of municipalities in Southern Nevada who have had to like take on the brunt of this were in a weird spot where um, like they were waiting for help from the legislature, but the decision came out after the legislature adjourned in 2019. So there was a bill up on Wednesday from the city of Henderson to try and address that instead of framework. There was some interesting stuff there with the NRA and public defenders on the same side opposing the bill. So that's always a fun, you know, um, occurrence when that happens. It's a very uh, complex way of like putting that policy in place, but something that really does affect a lot of people. I mean, domestic violence is one of the most um you know, common crimes that municipal courts deal with and uh, allowing all those people to have a jury trial is something that sort of can really gum up the works. So that's a big, important, weighty criminal justice policy thing that we covered on Wednesday. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was I talked to Senator Chris Brooks, who's the energy dude um, at the legislature. He usually has the big energy bill. He is working on a bill that would do quite a bit as it relates to energy. There's a $100 million investment over three years in electrical vehicle charging stations. Um, there's a couple like policy statements that might play out in terms of long-term energy planning, um, just in terms of transmission and things like that. And there's also a, an effort in this bill, which again, hasn't been introduced, it's just being worked on still um, to have Nevada join a wholesale market. Um, that's something that we talked a lot about in 2017, 2018, when question three, the retail choice ballot question was coming up. But that's kind of like a big uh, long-term planning thing that Nevada will have to deal with over the next decade. Hopefully it will help me stay employed because I feel like I'm one of the only people who cares about uh, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think like with what happened in Texas recently with all those power outages, people are paying more and more attention to, to grid resilience and grid reliability. And, you know, it can be very academic and boring when you're just talking about it in a virtual committee room or a real committee room. But, you know, when your power is out for a week and you can't, you know, have your water run or whatever, then those issues become very real. So um, that's kind of, uh, you know, my renewed interest in that subject. Um, hopefully that bill will be dropping soon and we'll be able to report on more details on that. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there for now. If you want more legislative coverage delivered straight to your inbox, you can sign up for Riley's newsletter, Behind the Bar, where he and the legislative team break down all the news that's fit to print. You can find that link and so much more, including all of the stories Riley mentioned today at the NevadaIndependent.com. Riley, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jacob. And so we are at a new semi-regular segment of the podcast. Um, we don't have a name for it yet. I guess we should probably come up with a name. But for now, we'll just call it, I guess, the DC Download Audio version with our man in DC, Humberto Sanchez. Humberto, how is it going? It's going well. We get some a really nice little stint of spring weather right now. Good. Yeah. I, I always love uh, hearing about, about the DC weather because I feel like it's significantly different than what's going on here in Reno. I'm sure before long, it'll be swamp, like Tahiti hot soon between now and then we're, we might get snow mondays it's snowing here right now and it was like 65 the other day so <laughs> the classic yeah. northern yeah. nevada <laughs> conundrum but anyway there's 
it's been a very busy week in in the nation's capital. This is going to be just it's going to be an audio version of your of your DC download, which you can read on Saturdays. Right. <laughs> so let's just get into it. You know what's been going on in, in DC right now? Well, the big news is that President Joe Biden signed into law his signature COVID relief bill, the American Rescue Plan, and that has billions and billions of dollars for each state and Nevada in particular. And uh, we can just run through some of the things that Nevada is going to get in that. One of the top lines really is uh, uh, $4.1 billion for state and local governments in Nevada. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty big. And that includes $2.9 for the state. And then counties will be getting $597 million, most of which will go to Clark County at $439 million. Uh, Washoe will get $91 million. I mean, this is big money. And then Las Vegas will be getting 130 million. Reno will be getting 53 million. Carson will get 50 million. Northern Las Vegas, 47 million. And Henderson, 36 million dollars. So each of those counties will be getting a huge bump in their in their budgets. I know folks at the state and local level are hurting a lot of the rationale for putting that money in, which Republicans really didn't want to put in because they they thought it would be hard to track and, and possibly open to to abuse is that uh, a lot of the state and local governments are lay- laying people off, which uh, further deepens the, the recession that's going on right now. And, and there's a really bad unemployment situation in Nevada. And so this uh, could go to help that, to, to bring those people back. I, I saw a headline, I think, uh, yesterday after this was passed by the House yesterday with no Republican support and no Republican support in the Senate as well, that the airlines are bringing people back. They just furloughed a bunch of people a couple weeks back, and the tweet was to rip up the the furloughs, and you're coming back to work. So that there's going to be a lot of that kind of news coming out there. More for Clark County. The, there's a uh, 130 billion overall for the nation for schools K through 12. Clark County will be getting 835 million dollars for that to reopen the classrooms and to come back safely and to work in this COVID environment. $3 billion from the Economic Development Administration to provide grants uh, to help stimulate local economies. And that's of interest because Dina Titus, our district congresswoman, oversees that particular agency on a subcommittee she chairs, and she helped get that money. $750 million of that would be used for areas that are disproportionately suffering from a decline in tourism and travel, which is a big boon to the state. People will get a full coverage of their COBRA to keep their health insurance if they lost their job through COBRA. Those premiums, you'll get a 100% voucher to keep your insurance if you've lost your job. That's, that's a big deal. And the McCarran Airport will be getting $170 million. That's out of an $8 billion pot of money for airports. That's just uh, the tip of the iceberg, really. That's it's a lot of money that's being yeah. doled out. We're going to be spending the next six or eight months tracking how this all gets used. That could go to really help people who are in need, but we'll also have to keep an eye on how it's used as with most of these bills, like the CARES Act, $1.2 billion from last March. So there's a lot of money slashing around the economy and we're going to have to see how it's used in Nevada. Yeah. You, you said that one thing was that no Republicans supported the bill in the House or the Senate. So obviously Mark Amaday, our representative, did not support it. The, the, the one Republican in the in DC from Nevada. Did he say why he wasn't supporting it? Just kind of sticking with the party? Like a lot of Republicans, he wanted the, the, all of this to be more targeted towards people who, who needed it most. For example, everybody who's making less than $75,000 a year will get the full $1,400 direct payment. If you make up over that, the, the amount of funds would ramp down. So you'd still get some money, but not the full $1,400. And then it would cut off at $80,000. So Amade wanted the bill to be more targeted. He, he believes that First of all, there's a, a provision here that gives a $300 a week bump in your um, unemployment insurance. 
And he thinks that is it people are making more money from that than they would at their regular jobs in certain situations in Nevada. And he thinks that discourages them from going back to work. Another issue he had with it was these $1,400 checks. The House passed the bill the week before last. And in that, you get the full $1,400 check up to $75,000. If you make up to $75,000, then it starts to ramp down. And then it would cut off completely at $100,000. The Democrats, some of the more moderate Democrats in the Senate wanted to try to entice Republicans to vote for it. So they, so they narrowed that window. They made it so that the cutoff would be at 80,000 instead of 100,000. And so, but they still didn't win over any, any Republican votes. And I asked Amadei about that the prior week and he told me like, that's, that's in the right direction, but it wasn't enough to win over his vote, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a real concern here about spending the, the, the bottom line. And a lot of Democrats are, are saying, you know, where, where was this spending concern over the last four years to which, you know, Republicans don't have very good answers, but nevertheless, they bring up the spending issue. The, the deficit is an all time, at all time high, and, and they're very concerned about how this money is going to be spent and whether it's going to the places where it's needed to go. Now, speaking on the other side of the aisle, most of the, uh, the delegation from Nevada is Democratic. Right. What were they saying when they voted yes? This bill is desperately needed. People are hurting, particularly in Nevada. There's a 9.2% unemployment rate in the state. That's the second highest in the nation. This will help people, for example, the, the COBRA benefit, people who've lost their jobs, and b- by extension, their health insurance. This will help them keep that health insurance until they can get back on their feet and get a new, another job. The $300 a week bonus to people collecting unemployment insurance is uh, going to help them in Nevada, where there's a lot of unemployment. There's also all the unemployment that you get is, uh, is taxable. So you're going to be on the hook for a big tax bill next year. This bill doesn't tax the first $10,200, I believe. And so that's going to be a big deal for people in Nevada. So there's a lot of stuff here to help help the state recover, help people get back on their feet and just try to get back to where they were. Yeah. Well, is there is there anything else coming out of D.C. this week other than the I mean, this is kind of like the, the omnibus thing coming out of the out, out of the, the Capitol. Yeah, it's the it's the big deal. It's the big daddy. They're, they're, but there's also other stuff that's going on. There, there's actually they they passed a gun, two gun bills, two gun control bills, which are kind of a big deal for our purposes. They all were fell apart along party lines. One would expand the uh, background checks. One's called the Bipartisan Background Check Act of 2021. It passed 227 to 203 with all all Nevada Democrats uh, voting for it. I think there were only five Republicans that supported it. And it would essentially expand background checks to anyone in most instances. So for example, the bill would expand cases in which a background check is required for the sale transfer of firearms, including for private individuals and groups selling or transferring firearms. That includes for gun shows, because right now there's something called the gun show loophole where you can sell your gun without having a background check. And it would also apply to online sales, which is a big deal. And the other bill, which is called the Enhanced Background Check of 2021, that passed 219 to 210, again, with all Democrats, all Nevada Democrats supporting it, Mr. Amday voting against it. That would close what's called the Charleston loophole, which is currently under federal law. Gun purchases can move forward after three business days, even if the background check isn't completed. And it's called the Charleston loophole because uh, back in 2017, when there was a shooting at the Emanuel Amy Church in Charleston, South Carolina, the killer there was allowed to purchase his gun during, because of that, that mm. quirk in the law. And so they've been trying to shut down to, that down for a while. And uh, there was also a third bill that they did this week. They were very productive this week. <laughs> on, uh, and this is actually of interest to, to Nevada as well, called the Protecting the, the Right to Organize Act, which passed 225 to 206, 
also on a party line basis. That bill would expand the definition of employee for the purposes of allowing independent contractors to join unions. It would also kind of upend the right to work laws. And Nevada is a right to work, which means that there's a law on the Nevada books that says an employee cannot be forced to join a union as a condition of employment. And this bill would allow bargaining agreements to require dues by all employees represented by that agreement. So that's kind of a big deal. And three, these last three ones, we'll see what happens in the Senate. Right now, the Senate is 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans. And you have the issue of, of the filibuster, meaning that you need 60 votes to advance a bill through the chamber. So you'd fi- have to find 10 Republicans to sort these to support these bills. And uh, I don't see that happening at the moment. But Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said that he plans to bring these up and, and we'll see how they fall. And that'll, this will also, if these, if these bills do uh, go down, will put more pressure on Democrats in the Senate to try to get rid of that filibuster or try to change the filibuster. And Senator Catherine Cortez Masso this week also came out in favor of enforcing what's called the standing filibuster. What springs to mind when you think of the talking filibuster is Mr. Smith goes to Washington when he, has, he goes to talk on the floor and doesn't stop talking. That's what would have to happen in order for people to block a bill. There's a growing course of people calling for filibuster reform, and that's definitely one option on the table. It'll be very interesting to see how this works out. It'll be a huge change in the Senate if they ever do anything. And as these bills come to the floor and and die in the Senate, there's going to be mounting pressure on Democrats to change the filibuster. All right. Well, Humberto, thank you so much for giving us the breakdown of what is going on in the nation's capital as relates to Nevada. Always in Nevada angle. Don't forget John Ralston saying we matter all the time. That's right. We do. We matter. (laughs) Hashtag we matter. Well, Humberto, enjoy the weather in D.C. I will enjoy the snow here in Reno (laughs) and we will we will talk again soon. Fantastic. Thanks, man. And now we want to take a minute to dive a little deeper into the context of the coronavirus in Nevada. Though, before we do, a quick programming note. With a broadening vaccine rollout and generally improving conditions in the number of reported cases, hospitalizations, and deaths from COVID-19, today will be the last weekly installment on our podcast of this COVID-19 update. That's not to say we won't be covering the pandemic on this podcast. Far from it. The pandemic isn't over, and there's still plenty of COVID-19 news for us to cover. We're just going to bring it to you as it happens, rather than every week. If you still want up-to-the-minute updates on the pandemic, you can always go to our website, thenevadaindependent.com, where we have a regularly updated dashboard, plenty of COVID contextualized stories that publish weekly, and now a COVID anniversary series, which takes a look back at the year of the coronavirus. But with that all out of the way, uh, today we have Nevada Independent Healthcare reporter Megan Messerly to break it all down. Megan, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. All right, Megan. So I want to start with those numbers and what kind of trends that we're seeing uh, in the data. Noting that we're recording at around 9.30 a.m. on Friday, March 12th, uh, what do the numbers look like? Yeah, so we're at about 298,000 cases statewide, creeping up on that 300,000 mark. Um, you know, as, as we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, we've been in kind of this plateau period, you know, cases kind of fluctuate a little bit day to day, but that seven day average really has stayed um, pretty steady, which means we're seeing a pretty um, sort of regular number of, of cases being reported each day on on average. And obviously that's, that's good news because if you look at the trends from the last year, I mean, it was once Nevada started reopening, cases went out, 
up and they went down and there was the fall surge cases went up and kept going up and they went down again. And so really, this is the first uh, really leveling out that we've seen. And obviously, folks are keeping a close eye on the numbers to say, OK, what's the impact of, of the vaccination effort on these numbers? Uh, will we see uh, these variants, these, these COVID variants affecting these numbers? We're keeping a close eye on all of that. But right now, the numbers have remained pretty steady, which, which is at least good news, especially compared to those really high numbers we were seeing, especially in, in the fall and early winter. Uh, now we're at about nearly uh, 5,100 deaths from, from COVID-19 uh, since the beginning of, of the pandemic. Uh, we've seen generally the number of new reported deaths uh, each day uh, decrease from that, that peak that we saw a few weeks ago. But uh, we are still seeing a, a quite high number, around 10 or 11 deaths on average being reported uh, each day. So it's still still a fairly, a fairly high number in the grander scheme of things. Um, Worth noting that we're at 347 people hospitalized with COVID-19 uh, as of Wednesday, the last day for which this data is available. Uh, the reason that number is important is it, we're actually getting pretty close to our lowest ever point of COVID-19 hospitalization since the beginning of the pandemic, which was actually uh, in May, we hit 316 hospitalizations. And so uh, we haven't gotten uh, as low. We haven't set a new record low, but we are hovering in, in that area, which is obviously good news. We'll be keeping an eye on that to see how hospitalizations continue, because again, obviously the goal of the vaccine, right, is to prevent severe hospitalizations and, and deaths. So that'll be a really important metric to keep our eyes on. Uh, now, talking a little bit about that vaccine effort, uh, more than 900,000 doses of the COVID-19 have been administered across Nevada. That includes 570,000 uh, people who have received at least one dose. Now, we're, we're now presenting the numbers this way because with the new one-shot vaccine, uh, obviously, some people will be getting one dose and be fully vaccinated considered at the, at the same time because there is no second dose. Uh, but looking at that fully vaccinated number, we're at nearly uh, 320,000 people across Nevada who are fully vaccinated or who have at least received their second dose, they might still be in that waiting period to build up their full immunity, but have at least been fully vaccinated uh, against COVID-19. And, and the reason that number is important, that essentially means we're, we're nearly at one in five Nevadans who is either partially or fully vaccinated for COVID-19. So obviously those are good numbers. Obviously we wanna see them continuing to improve, but uh, things are sort of heading in the right direction, it seems like. So I want to ask about vaccinations in a second. But first, we're supposed to get some new mitigation measures soon. Uh, do we know what those are going to look like? Yeah, it's a good question. So if folks remember uh, back to the governor's last announcement, he had announced this 75-day uh, reopening plan from where we were in our statewide pause in, in the fall and early winter. Um, the next part of that plan uh, kicks in on March 15th. That's that's Monday for folks who are listening to this over the weekend. Um, and along with that will come a new easing of restrictions. So the big one here is that uh, essentially um, all, all businesses that are allowed to be open will be allowed to go to 50% capacity. Um, they were at 25 under the statewide pause, creeped up to 35, and, and now they'll be going to 50. There were some businesses like aquariums and zoos that were allowed to be operating at 50%, but now we're seeing that expansion of that 50% capacity. So that'll be the, the big news and the big one worth, worth keeping an eye on to sort of see how, whether we see any impacts in, in the data from that reopening effort. Okay. So we've seen the number of people who can get vaccinated in this state expand a couple of times over the last month. Uh, what's been the most recent expansions and, and how much wider is the pool of people who can get the, the shot now? 
Yeah, so the big announcement this week was that uh, Clark County was opening up uh, vaccinations to the food service workers and hospitality industry. And obviously that's that's big news because that means strip workers, right? People who are working on Las Vegas Strip, uh, all the sort of frontline casino employees from the folks who are working in, in the restaurants to the, the guest room attendants to the porters. I mean, it really includes all those frontline hospitality folks. And there was obviously a lot of frustration because, you know, as we've talked about, as, as I've written about, you know, there's this balance that Nevada's had to, to, to deal with um, between public health and its economy and, and the fact that its economy is so heavily based on the tourism industry. And, and given that, uh, you know, casinos are open and, and that we've had to um, sort of approach things in this balanced way, there was a lot of frustration from folks that, that casino workers and hospitality workers were not initially higher up on the vaccine priority list. Obviously, though, a lot of folks are very excited that they're now um, eligible in Clark County. So uh, that effort is now underway to vaccinate those folks. Uh, state officials also announced this week that they're um, that they're working with the Board of Pharmacy to be able to offer uh, COVID-19 vaccines only in the pharmacy setting. So that would be your, you know, your Walgreens, your, your Smiths, your Albertsons, your, your Walmart pharmacies uh, to people who are 55 and older only with qualifying pre-existing conditions, uh, disabilities, or who are experiencing homelessness uh, by next week. So they haven't set an exact date for when we'll see that happen, uh, but we should be seeing that coming soon, which will obviously be good news for, for folks who have been in this, especially 55 to 64 age group with those, those pre-existing conditions, um, sort of opening up that avenue for them to get vaccinated, even if not at all sites, at least at these pharmacy sites. So as we see the number of eligible people expand over the last couple of weeks, I'm struck by, at the federal level, this vast expansion of the vaccination effort. And even just yesterday, President Joe Biden announcing that uh, by May 1st, he wants all states to be able to open up vaccinations to every adult. How close is Nevada to getting there on its own? How close is May 1st relative to how the vaccine effort has gone here so far? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, if you think about where, where we're at, you know, uh, one, one in five essentially Nevadans who have at least, you know, started or completed the vaccination process, that's that's a good number, but obviously still a lot of the ways to go. It's also worth noting that we look at numbers in those ways um, because we're looking at the whole population. Obviously not the whole population is eligible right now for the vaccine because children cannot receive the vaccine, but we look at numbers in those ways because that's kind of important for, for herd immunity. So worth mentioning that as well. But thinking about where we're, where we're at in the vaccination process, obviously Clark and Washoe County being the, the, the bigger urban counties um, have been further behind and sort of opening up to new groups. But if you look at what's happening in rural Nevada, there are several counties where all prioritized folks um, are eligible now to get the vaccine. That's every prioritized workforce group um, and anyone who is, uh, you know, someone with a pre-existing condition, um, all, of, all those folks are eligible. There's, there's not um, sort of that expansion to the healthy adult group yet, but it's, I mean, the <laughs> Pretty much that's the only thing left for some counties in, in rural Nevada. So obviously Clark and Washoe counties have, have a long way to go um, in that regard and are still working their way toward that point. But we, I mean, we have seen, um, you know, vaccinations increase. Uh, grocery store workers are getting vaccinated. Now casino workers, that obviously just being a big chunk of the workforce in Clark County. So um hard to say whether that that May 1st goal is is uh, realistic or not. And state officials have not yet um, weighed in on that. I'm sure they, they might later today after we uh, record this podcast. But 
Um, I think at least based on where Nevada is that I know that that goal might seem a little bit more realistic than other states that really have not progressed very far at all in their their vaccination efforts and are still at the top parts of the tier. And and ultimately, this comes down to, um, you know, a lot of this is is an equity issue, right? This is the reason why these these vaccines were prioritized this way, because you want to prioritize the folks um, most at risk. But then you also want to make sure that within those prioritized groups, uh, certain groups aren't getting left behind. Right. We have seen uh, lower rates of vaccination for folks of certain, um, you know, socioeconomic statuses, certain zip codes, certain uh, based on certain race or ethnic groups. Um, and that's obviously a huge concern. You know, you want to make sure that you're, okay, we vaccinated X percent of 65-year-olds, um, but are we missing out on certain segments of the population? So obviously that's just the major concern with rushing to expand too fast is that uh, you're missing out on some of these key groups within these eligible populations. And so I know that's something the state officials will be keeping a close eye on as we move forward and, and as we, um, you know, head toward this uh, future, you know, expansion to all, all healthy adults at some point in the future. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But as always, if you want to know more about the coronavirus in Nevada, you can head to our website, thenevadaindependent.com. There you can find weekly updates from Megan in her coronavirus contextualized series, as well as a regularly updated dashboard with all the latest COVID-19 data, and now weekly installments as part of our coronavirus anniversary series, uh, of which the first uh, prologue and the first installment are already up, and the installment number two will be up this weekend. Megan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Riley Snyder, Humberto Sanchez, and Megan Messerly for being on the show this week. You can also share the show with a friend or on social media. It helps the show grow so we can continue to bring you fantastic interviews and updates every week. Email us with any questions, concerns, comments, praise, movie suggestions, exercise tips, or whatever else is on your mind. You can reach me at joey at thenvindy.com, and Jacob is at jacob at thenvindy.com. Reno band People With Bodies wrote and performed our original theme song. If you want to hear more of their music, you can find them on Spotify or Bandcamp. There was additional music in today's episode by our own Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. stories up this weekend last uh what did you want to highlight oh hold on my cats can you hear her keep the cat on the podcast challenge jacob no she doesn't meow she yells this is the problem i have no idea I think there might have been one or two meows in the oh. <laughs> no this chair is not made for you to do that <laughs>